evening and welcome back to Transatlantic History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian. This is Brian in Buffalo, New York, U.S. of A. And with me, as always, is Lauren from Swansea. How are you, Brian? I am good, Lauren from Swansea, Wales in the U.K. How are you feeling? I'm all right. Yeah. Not not really wanting to go for my lumbar, lumbar puncture next week. So if anybody wants to go in my stead, I would be very grateful. Lauren is just trying to brag to the audience that next week she's going to get something long and hard stuck in her backside. <laughs> it's not my backside. It's it's the base of is my Is it your front side or backside they're going to be sticking it in, Lauren? Oh, I just wish I was being knocked out for it, but I'm a bit scared of be, about being knocked out of it. Yeah, I, I understand. Lumbar puncture does not sound fun. I've never had it done, but um, not my idea of a good time. You well, are a party animal. <laughs> there is a risk of um, of paralyzation. Well, you know, I guess there's okay. a risk of paralyzation with anything, isn't there? There's a risk. Um, there's a risk of of a, of a serious spinal fluid leak. <laughs> I'm just like, you want me to have this done? You shouldn't tell me the risk. <laughs> no, no. And and oh, you know, come on, folks. I'm trying to calm my audience down. They they're trying to laugh. It's not funny. Stop laughing at that. That's not funny. She's terrible. You are terrible to me, making the audience laugh. I'm trying to stop them. I told them it was scary. That's your scary uh, lumbar puncture music, Lauren. <laughs> Shall I just ask them to play that for the 20 minutes the procedure lasts? Is that in the background? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it'd be better than what you'd be hearing, what else you'd be hearing in that hospital, like... Do they treat, do they treat the sheep in the same hospital? No, they don't. But that's the doctor that's going to do it, isn't it? It is. Lauren, would you please lay on your bed, on your stomach? No, you've got to lay on your side. I got an email that I got to tell you about. I, I, I didn't respond to it because I figure we'll respond to it on the air. But I got um, an email it was a lady someone, that we triggered, or I triggered. No, it was someone asking genuinely, why, why are there always sheep sounds? Okay, I'll ask this. Um, thank you, listener, for your question. It's because um, Brian is xenophobic, um, and <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the nicknames, or one of the false charges that are laid upon the Welsh, is that allegedly false. Um, no, they are false. That they are what is delightfully termed sheep shaggers. You know what I think of that? Well, uh, it's as scary as your lumbar puncture. So yes, so that he thinks it's hilarious because, um, and he has continued to do it since we uh, were on Facebook and. A guest complained about our ramblings and said I was mean and horrible. 
you're Broadway. a bully. And that I was a bully. And yeah. she had, thought it had something to do with him being American, that I was picking on the American for being American. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then privately, I went to Brian. Wasn't that the episode you were technically being xenophobic because you were playing all the sheep sounds? And he goes, yes. Yes, it yeah. was. <laughs> yeah, it is the time I called you a sheep shagger. And you were yeah, the bully. He yeah, he, he he didn't hide it. He called. He actually did call me a sheep shagger. And he goes, yep. Yeah, because it's the one where I called you a sheep shagger. So, yeah, yeah I, I am the bully. You are. Um, <laughs> but he is not for calling no, me. I'm a good guy. I'm a very sweet guy. Um, and uh, so, uh, my, my emotions are, are destroyed by your bullying, Lauren. Yeah. I don't bully you. On, on a plus side, I uh, had a date last night. Does Sarah know about this? Well, I don't know, but it, it was perfect. Great date last night. I think tonight I'll try a fig. <laughs> well, well, I just twirled. If, uh, if, you, if uh, you're going to try a fig, you might need to keep uh, your... Uh, Bathroom buddy by your side. I am so glad you brought up the bathroom buddy because we are not sponsored by the bathroom buddy. We are not it? sponsored by the bathroom buddy, Dude. but a, a very, um, uh, a very, uh, good, uh, it must be a good listener. Someone who really pays attention, a very astute listener pointed out that last week's ramblings was the only show like in a year where neither the bathroom buddy or Duffs were mentioned. <gasps> we lost our sponsorship deals. Or- I'm telling you, someone point, and I'm like, wait a second. We actually went an entire episode without talking about the bathroom buddy. So I made up for it, Lauren, because I, uh, I went to Duffs this weekend. And uh, it was delicious. And in honor of that listener, uh, when Duffs came back to visit later, we got out the bathroom, buddy. The greatest invention in the history of mankind. Is that an? Is that a little uh, too much information for the audience? Yeah, I think so. But they deserved it for pointing that out. I also, you know, got an email from someone again that you know they must have been listening to an old episode, and they say, you know, we learned a little too much about you, Brian, about that gr- grotesque thing growing out of your neck. Why would you talk about that on the air? And I'm like, well, first off, that thing was Bilal, and uh, he's gone now, and I miss him. But uh, apparently I I give a little bit too much personal info. What do you think, Lauren? um, I I don't think that they had as much as I did because I saw um, pictures of Bilal uh, pre- and post-exorcism. Yeah, and what would you think? It was scary. I, I I think it is, it is an obvious talking point, and I think I can see why you talked about him a lot. Yeah, I miss him. And ov- obviously, um, he was uh, possessing you and making you talk about him for self-promotion. Yeah, well, I miss him. You know, we, we were quite attached. <laughs> no, that was a bad joke. Even the audience didn't laugh at that one. But uh, apparently... They, they claim I say too much about, what, you know, 
too much information, too much Jesus. You're the one out here telling the world that someone's going to be sticking something long and hard in your backside next week. I didn't say that, and it's not in, again, it is in my spine, not my backside. Kinky, kinky little devil, you. Yeah. I mean, I could tell the story about my colonoscopy. Do you think the audience would like to hear that? Nobody wants to hear it. All right, how about some jokes, Lord? Can I just ask a question? Because Family Guy taught me about the way that people remember the colonoscopies. Mm -hmm. Is it, does it? Does your memory go black and white and and you have, well, a panic attack? Well, you don't get put out for a colonoscopy. No, you do not. No. And you can actually watch it on the TV monitor in front of you. It's not the best show I ever saw, by the way. I've seen better. But uh, let's just say the last time I had a colonoscopy, the medication didn't work. Oh, no. And I felt every inch of it. That is a common thing with redheads, though. Yes, I know. So guess what? I'll never forget that colonoscopy. You can ask we did, stop. Guess we did talk about it. Hmm. You just told me we shouldn't talk about it, Lauren. Now you made me talk about it. You are evil. See what they say about redheaded girls? You're all evil. You're witches. Nah, 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 no, nah. not, not all of us witches. Some of us are just vampires. And yes, I had my visit to the vampire today. Oh, she's left a bruise. Nasty vampire. Well, they they do that, you know, because, you know. Now, where did they take the blood from, Lauren? My arm. Just sitting like your your elbow pit. Yeah, she said. You I call was that dead. an elbow pit? I don't know, but it is that. I mean, it is. I don't know what the name for it is, so I call it an elbow pit. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. She just. She said I was very good, though. She said I did it. I, I was very good. What good girl? What a yeah. good girl. We're taking your like, You're such a good girl. Did they pet you too? <laughs> and I was just like, well, it's just a needle that goes in, and it's done within like a minute. Oh. How many vials of blood did they take? Two. Oh, that's not bad. Last time oh. I had to go get blood work, because I get blood work every four months, because, you know, I got the diabetes. And uh, all kinds of other conditions. Again, more information that the audience doesn't need. But usually when I go, they take two, sometimes three vials of blood. And I went there the one time, they took seven. Uh, there's one time they took four from me. Yeah, well, seven is bigger than four, Lauren. Yeah, no, but that was when they were trying to determine, um, was there something else going on with the eyes? You know what else they took from me? Your dignity? Well, no, I mean, that was gone years ago. Um, They they wanted my pee. That's just to make sure your medication isn't affecting your kidneys. I couldn't go. I get like stage fright, I guess. Ah, see, now in the UK we do it at home and take it to the doctors ourselves. Well, we—they gave me a, a little container and said, you know, if you can't go, you can bring this back to us a little later. So uh, I'm like, sweet. And uh, then I realized 
probably going to have to pee soon. Then I'm going to have to carry this thing in my pocket. <laughs> it's not um, true, people. They gave us a little, like, bag to put it in. And they're still waiting for it, aren't they, Brian? No, no, I took it back to him about an hour after I left. I went in, I walked in all proud, chest out, going, here you go, Doc. And they said, I'm not a doctor, but thank you for your pee, sir. They didn't say that. Did they give you a sticker? No, but the what, my last um, COVID vaccine, I got a sticker. It had like a turtle on it or something and said, I don't know, way to go or something. I don't know. I I've, I've I think had... they were for the little kids, but I kind of demanded one. Give me the sticker. <laughs> yeah, I, I've only had three of those. Three stickers? No, three... Um... Uh, three three vaccines, COVID vaccines. <clears throat> hey, and, and we're both still alive. You know, those anti-vaxxers said we'd all be dead by now. Well, apparently I did um, have one on my friends list tell me that my health, my current health problems were because of the vaccine. Oh, of course. Anything that goes wrong is because the, I probably it was probably because I got the vaccine. I got the jab. That's why I couldn't pee at the doctor's office. It had nothing to do with stage fright. All I did, they'll blame everything on the vaccine. Uh, so, um, yeah, that that was a uh, a little weird. Did they uh, make you get naked to get the vaccine, Lauren? No. Oh, so I guess it was kind of weird, huh? Um. Yeah, but it was it was weird. This person going, oh, you know, your current health problems are because you had this vaccine, and you know, don't be surprised if they say it's cancer or you die. And it's like, okay, thank you. I've had a lot of weird health issues, as you know. Um, the weirdest <laughs> one I ever had. Did I ever tell you the time this was when my niece was a little baby, and. I ended up having to go to the hospital after a peekaboo accident. Okay. What? You like <laughs> shocked by this? Yeah, I had to go to the hospital after a peekaboo accident. They put me in the ICU. <laughs> the ICU, get it? Yeah. Yeah, you just didn't find it funny, huh? So, can I ask you a question? Um, you might not like the answer. <laughs> no, it's um, it's about the um, I don't know, I don't, I don't think it's that popular in the U.S. The drink Prime. No. Um, it's very popular here, and both Corey and Theo love it. And um, and I I I am the one. That they sort of collaborate with um, because I will if I see a flavor and it's like a rare flavor I'll buy it for them but do they do they have do they have you porn one now Lauren no I don't like it it's horrible um um I did try it and it was horrible um mm. do you have the ones now because they've started doing it now where they've got color changing bottles because it's called cherry freeze i was I, the boy said it was quite rare and it was just in a local um petrol station 
Sounds um, like something that's far too hip for me to be involved with. Yeah, and I was just because my friend in America was like, "Oh, we have, you know, they don't sell in America. You know, there's special offers on them. There's like two for a dollar." She goes, "If I'd have known they liked them, I'd have brought you some over for them." And I was just like, "Oops." Yeah, but, I, yeah. Uh, I I don't know anything about them. Yeah, because they tell me what they tell me what flavor they're looking out for, and then if I see it, I pick it up. And they quite like it because I listen to them. I yeah, don't like you, it, but... you Welshies have weird tastes and flavors. Like your favorite chips are fucking fish flavored. What? Your potato chips are prawn flavored. And salt and vinegar. Well, that's normal. Not in but... Germany. It's not. They do not have salt and vinegar crisps in Germany. <laughs> okay. That's... This is our fact of the day. Yeah, and I know that because um, I I was part of a German school exchange when I was at school, and the girl came over here, my exchange student came over here, and bought like fifty million um, salt and vinegar crisp packets to take home I with her. Think you might be exaggerating, Lord. It was if it's more than three, it's fifty million. All right, I I'm a little pissed off you didn't like my ICU ICU joke. I thought that was cute. No? No. You know, I did. Remember how bad my cold was a couple weeks ago when we were recording and I kept having to mute the microphone because I kept coughing and sneezing? Yes. So I I ended up going to the doctor because Uh it got so bad. I had to tell him that I I kept hearing a buzzing in my ear and he said, oh, yeah, it's just a bug going around. Uh, took the audience a while to get it, but they finally did. Apparently, you didn't like it, though. No. Hey, Lauren, you want another joke? No. Come on, one more joke. No. I'll keep it on the hospital theme. Not going to laugh. Hey, Lauren. What? Did you hear about the guy who drank a bottle of disappearing ink? Nope. He's at the hospital waiting to be seen. (laughs) No? No. Well, let's see. My jokes have failed miserably. We talked about the bathroom, buddy. We talked about Duff's. We talked about you getting something long and hard stuck in your backside. Um, That's really bad. It's not. I think... Maybe it's time to go on to our uh, uh, <clears throat> next week when I'm crippled because this is going on. You're not going to be crippled. And if you are, I promise not to laugh in your face. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> oh, well, you want your scary music? No. <laughs> no? No. With a little thunder, maybe? (laughs) Make it like a horror movie for you. Don't be scared. Or, I mean, yeah, don't be scared. Nervous, fine, but not scared. Was I scared with Bilal? Yes. 
Okay, I was a little scared about. Was I scared of the bathroom buddy? That's not the same thing. You love the bathroom buddy. I do. You're frightened of the bathroom buddy. It's creepy. It's not creepy. It's just not bad. It is the world's greatest invention until I patented my improvements to it. The bathroom bidet. (laughs) But don't fear, Lauren. You'll be fine. You won't be crippled. A little paralyzed, maybe, but not crippled. (laughs) All right. Um, Yeah, it's just they've sent me this big list. (laughs) It's like, um, (laughs) do you want to know a funny story? You know, last month, well, no, it was this month. It was the beginning of the month that I had to go and have a CT scan. Yeah. And they had to put the dye in. (laughs) And then she goes to me, there's a risk you might have um, might have an allergic reaction. And then me not thinking she meant anaphylaxis went, what would I do if I got home and I started to, you know, have allergic reaction? And she goes, no, it would be immediate. Yeah, it'd be pretty thinking, quick. Because I thought it would be like, you know, you wait a couple of hours and, and you have a like a skin reaction to something. No. No, you know it right away. But that dye is weird when they inject it in because it makes you feel like you're peeing yourself. Yes, but it also makes you feel warm, even your tongue. Yeah, but didn't you feel like you were peeing yourself? Yeah, I did. They even told me they're like, all right. They did tell me too. Like, you're gonna be, you're gonna feel like you're gonna pee yourself, but you're not going to be peeing yourself. They told me you're gonna feel like you're peeing, but you're not. It's just the dye. Then they said, oh shit, he peed all over himself. <laughs> I didn't really pee all over myself. Because remember, I have stage fright. I can't pee when the doctors tell me to. But it was, like, really weird because I thought, oh, they're just exaggerating. And I was like, everything went warm, including yeah. my tongue. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. It was a horror. It, but it's, like, instant. Yeah. Uh, kind of makes you wonder, how good is that stuff for you, huh? It's not very good for you. <laughs> no, I'm not. So I'm assuming not. It's um, but the the benefits outweigh the risks, apparently. Well, yeah, uh, unlike the COVID vaccine, apparently, because you know that person told you it's all a result of the vid. Yeah, yeah, that that is scary and creepy. Like everybody that gets, like every celebrity that gets an illness, like I bet they had the COVID vaccine, and it's like no, no, every like, single one. I know, I know, but I'm gonna let, let me clear my throat, Lauren. <clears throat> that was good, huh? And I'm going to go on to... History. Now, should I be a gentleman and let you go first? Because I think you might have taken one of the same days I did. Um, I don't think you would have picked this one. I might have. So, what you got for me, Lauren? You go first. Um, I don't think you picked this one. So mine is from 1164. No, I didn't take that one, Lauren. On the 30th of January, 1164, English King Henry II passes the Constitution of Carradon, attempting to restrict the power of the papal clergy in England. Only Thomas Beckett objects, beginning beginning their quarrel. You said papal, which kind of sounds like... Papal, as in um, Catholic clergy. Oh, so, 
So I shouldn't do that. Um, that what he was what he was trying to do, um, and it, it kind of uh, um, is is to stop them having because the if you were Roman Catholic in certain matters, the Pope would um, have power over monarchs. Well, and yeah, because he's like I'm a the Pope, I do what I want. I don't um, know why I made him Italian, but because he. Sometimes is. Sometimes is. Sometimes not. Right, what um, was it, four popes ago? Where was the last time we had an Italian? Maybe. Uh, yes, which is something like 27 million pro- British prime ministers ago. Yeah, something like that. Anna Boris Johnson. Does he count? <laughs> um. So, um. yeah, so it, it um, so the reason I chose this one is because I didn't want people to think that the Reformation was the first time that we fell out with the Pope or we tried to restrict what Rome was able to do in England or Britain. Well, it wasn't Britain at that time, it was England. And yeah, it really. Um, um, so after that, things don't really seem to sort themselves out until the time of Henry V. And then back in the time. Um, that's that's three Henrys away. Yeah. Um, and he, um, and he manages it, but there is, you know, the, the opinion of one clergyman was, is that we are too English or too, you know, Wales wasn't a part of this at the moment, but we are too, um, might've been too English to be part of Rome. I can can definitely see that because you fucking... Brits, all right? You were under Roman rule for a long time and never learned their language. That's that's pretty that's pretty English. Um, well, Brother, sir, I will not learn that language. But then also you've got to you've got to accept that the Roman Empire changed when it was in Britain. They yeah. Were, they weren't as they weren't as well, militant. Or a militant. I mean, if you think about Bath, you know, the Baths were founded by the Romans because they thought the goddess Minerva was under the um, ground there. So there's, there was, there was, you know, they became spiritually affected in some way by the. You know, Lauren, Rome wasn't built in a day. Yes, it was. But most McDonald's are. Did you not watch, you know, um, past guest AJ West? Yes. You know, he was on Big Brother. Celebrity Big Brother. Yeah, Celebrity Big Brother. Yeah, um, let's, let's give him credit. He's a star. Um, And he was, cre- and he was tasked with um, telling people crazy facts that weren't true. Um, but he had to make them believe them. And he was very successful at that. So and what like you the... do on this show? You make up all these number people? Um, Two Henry, uh, Henry Five, Henry Eight, Henry Mancini. And he um, told them that Rome was built in a day because it was actually inflatable. 
they deflated it at night. I I believe it. Speaking of Adrian, we got to bring him back on the show. He um, I I did sort of um give him an open invitation because he has a new book out um late spring. Ah, beautiful. We will contact him. We'll bring him back. Um, but you want to mm-hmm. hear my day in history, Lauren? You're going to be proud of me. Okay. It's not fancy rounders. Not fancy rounders. It's not even American. You you tried to get me told off about calling it fancy rounders until the person was like, yeah, it is. So, yeah. yeah. But my day in history is the 30th of January, 1661. Yeah. It was the day. Lord Protector of the Commonwealth of England, Oliver Cromwell, was ritualistically executed two years after he was dead. Yeah. I fucking love that he'd been dead for two years, and they're like, yeah, let's execute him now. Well... A little late, folks. He never really sorted out what was going to happen to the Commonwealth after he died. That no. was the problem. And so that's why it happened. Because if you think if you think about it, you know, the Roundheads win the Civil War. Then he comes in and then he starts taking away things like Christmas, the theatre. And so people are like, well, why are we living under somebody who's not making you know, who's not really being a parliamentarian, who's not really, you know, he is sort of becoming more like the king. Yeah, but Lauren, he was dead for two years when they executed him. Yeah, because it it kind of took them two years to sort out what was going to happen next. What was it going to do, kill him again? Um, there was a reason by it behind it. Why they I know that. it was a ritualistic thing. And no, it was a... no, 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 no. They, we, well, I'll say we because it was Britons. We were looking to invite the monarchy back, <clears throat> and we had to do something symbolic. Yeah, it was to... symbolic execution. Uh, um, but it wasn't. It's kind of uh, like using had... the bathroom, buddy. Two years after taking a, dr- a deuce. Um, we. Well, the, th- the thing is, is though, is is if you are the monarch's son or the monarch's heir, and you uh, and your and the country that executed that person is now going, yeah, we want a monarchy back. We made a terrible mistake. It didn't work out for us. Then the only way, you know, you are going to want some assurance that um, it won't happen again. And and the only thing that they really could come up with was giving him a tra- giving Cromwell a traitor's death. Well. I got a question for you. Yes. When you brought the monarchy back, why was there never a Willie or a Sam? (laughs) Yes, folks, that's for those listeners who really like oldies will get that joke. I'm not even going to explain to you what it means. If you know, let me know. You don't know, Lauren, do you? I don't know. I'll tell you off air. But. I thought you'd like my day in history because I went with one of your freaky UK facts. Do you want me to give another one just just to uh, round it out? Mind you, um, ritualistic trials, like 
try putting dead people on trial happen more than you think. Yeah, but the execution doesn't. Um... Except in Texas. Let's not talk about that. No, that's no. what happened there was awful. I'm sorry. Yes. It was awful. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to give one more quick day in history because it's both American and British, and it's a feel-good story for us to, before we go on to our interview, because, Lauren, we got a great show tonight. We're going to be Thank talking you. my favorite science fiction franchise, Planet of the Apes. Oh, I love Planet of the Apes. Talking the original, folks, not the remakes or the reboots. We're talking the original film series, the original TV series, and the original animated series. So my second quick day in history, just for me and you as film people, do you know it was today in history, January 30th, 1931, that Chaplin released what I consider his masterpiece, City Lights. Oh, yeah, that is his masterpiece. That's beautiful. I think City Lights is one of the one of the true cinematic masterpieces. And, and it's amazing that he made it as a silent film three years after talkies were being made and he still made it as a silent film and I, I i don't only think it was chaplin's masterpiece but i think it was one of the all-time masterpieces apparently you don't agree no i don't agree i just decided nothing to add no that's fine what i'm gonna do lauren i'm gonna fire up that magic interview box what do you think yes because we have got not one but two guests Exactly. And we've been quite lucky with one guest to have him back so soon. So that's a clue. All right, let me fire it up. It's the Magic Interview Box. And you get to flip the switch, Lauren, and we're going to come back. And I'm going to tell you one last time, Lauren, get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. Flip the switch. Okay, Lauren, Lauren, Lauren. It tells me to let everybody know we're being recorded. You're all being recorded. So, Lauren, we had this big, big Planet of the Apes episode to do today. And unfortunately, one of our guests could not make it at the last minute for personal reasons. And that's fine. We're going to reschedule. We're going to do a full Apes episode. But... Since we already had fellow sci-fi nerd and hero of mine, Chris Shelton, I was not letting him get away. I said, we're going to talk to Chris anyway, and we're going to talk sci-fi. I know Chris is like, you know, the cult expert and deprogramming and helping people and being the greatest cult guy, not cult guy, but anti-cult guy in the world. And he deserves to do a show not about cults. But Chris, before we start, we got to have... One minute of cult talk, okay? Sure, fire away. And it's not cult talk, it's a plug. Because, I know this is audio only, but I want Lauren to see, I have my copy of Scientology A to Zenu with the sweetest inscription I ever got in a book. I cried. People don't realize, I'm a six foot five, 300 plus pound beast of a man, and I cried. Oh. You know, the let, you know, I cry at movies like City Lights makes me cry every time I see it. And um, I really cry at like La Strada. And then I cried looking at this and my girlfriend's like, are your sinuses bad again? 
And I'm like, no, fucking Chris got me. So, folks, Scientology, <laughs> A to Zenu, you got to get this book. I devoured the first half of it in the first night I had it. It's incredible. Chris, tell everybody where they can get the book. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, that is exclusively available there pretty much as an audiobook, ebook, or uh, print on demand. Get it, folks. It is not only is Chris one of the greatest guys in the world, it's a great book. And uh, it really uh, it can help people understand a lot of things, not just Scientology, about how mind control can work on people. That's right. That's exactly right. And, it's, and at the end, I go over, there's three chapters on cult recovery as well. And that was written years ago. I've learned so much more since then. But um, that's where you go to my channel because you'll find a wealth of stuff there on it as well. But it all began, yeah, kind of with that book in terms of really getting serious and putting it down and trying to take apart Scientology and describe it and, and how it's gotten away with what it's gotten away with for so many years. And it's such a great case study of how all these other destructive cults basically operate because Scientology really is one of the worst and one of the most uh, you know, blatant – just so deceptive. It's such a um, – it's you know they just they just and it's so abusive at so many levels and unfortunately i got to be part of that growing up you know and and for many many years as an adult so um so that book was was real nice to get all that out of my head but it was really it's not my memoir it's a breakdown of the subject and that's that's why i think it has value for people it is incredible uh folks i can't recommend it, it it's my book it's... pick of the year so far oh, i know it's only january you. But it is my book pick of the year so far, so it could stay up there. So, you know. Hey. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about Scientology now. Mm. We're here to talk about science fiction. Or yeah. are we here to talk about Scientology? <laughs> Which it is, science much is science fiction. <laughs> I have to say, though, Brian, when you introduced it, I thought when you started off that you were going for um, – this is the voice of the Mr. Mister Ron's vibe, but you kind of didn't nail it properly. <laughs> but that, I, I, I thought that's what you were going to do. Like, this is the voice I, of the uh, Mr. Ron. I, 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 I love it. I love it. I, I, I don't know if that was an insult or a compliment by Lauren, you know, because, you know, Lauren's a bully. <laughs> oh, my. I, even I'm when not I'm being, in the middle of this. Even when I was being attacked, um... Uh, then when Brian was making sheep tagger jokes because I'm Welsh, um, this woman thought I was bullying him because I wouldn't laugh at his jokes. I see. Yeah, we triggered some woman who said that 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 Welsh girl is so mean it triggered her that she wasn't laughing at my jokes, which were horrible jokes, calling her a sheep shagger. Well, uh, you know, I could see how. That would not, yeah. So we discovered that Lauren's a bully, internationally known bully. Well, that you know, some truths are stranger and deeper than others. It is, Lauren. So yeah, Lauren. Lauren. <laughs> what do you say for yourself, Lauren? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're gonna bully Chris now? Uh huh. No, it's just silence. She's just bullying us with silence. <laughs> <laughs> Gaslighting you with silence. 
we are going to talk the original intent of the show. We were going to talk all Planet of the Apes, but we're going to talk mm-hmm. a little Planet of the Apes because as sure. Chris didn't know this. I think I've told Lauren this before, but my favorite science fiction franchise of all time is the original Planet of the Apes. I definitely did not know that. In all that, in all the discussions we've had about this stuff over the years, we've that that never was apparent to me. So that is absolutely fascinating. I would have, unless I knew that, um, I would have said Star Wars was because I know how much you love the Mandalorian and how. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's and what we talked about mostly. Star Wars is my second favorite. Um. I mean, anybody who grew up when we did, Chris, this is a Star Wars nut. I mean, yeah, I mean, duh. Yeah. Because I was too young to see the Apes films in theaters. Mm-hmm. But I was at that perfect age when they were on weekend television every week. Yeah. That went out. I think it went on for one season, right? It was like 14 episodes and then they canceled it or something. Yes. But then the local, um, and this was, this had to be 1979, 1980, when we went from having three channels to five channels. Mm hmm. And we would have uh, Channel 29 played movies on weekends. And I discovered all these things named Godzilla and Mothra and Planet of the Apes. They were all on. And I just fell in love. And I used to run around my my neighborhood like I was a chimpanzee. It was awesome. I just fell in love with the apes. That is funny. I grew up with... um, what do I want to how do I want to describe this I'm not I'm not super familiar with Japanese cinema Japanese sci-fi um I mean there were the Godzilla things and then there was um this other guy this Voltron or Zoltan or something anyway I don't know it's this this big robot thing and and we and I remember distinctly playing at that in the playground the next day with all the other kids we were all watching that right um but that was sort of pre-anime, I guess, because um, I was not around when when anime. I, well, I, Speed Racer. But as far as sci-fi goes, it was really just kind of Godzilla reruns, Mothra, Rodan, and this big robot thing that did this whole thing. The lines and, all connected to it, and it became yeah, one thing. yeah, yeah. And then there was the cartoon version. With these five that, that form this phoenix, the phoenix force, I think it was. Ultraman, yeah. Yeah, and that was those were those were fun. I remember those growing up, and then catching I'm, Planet of the Apes on TV the same way you're talking about with those old Japanese movies. That's how I caught Planet of the Apes for the first times, and it was not other than the first one. The first movie communicated clearly enough what was going on to my ten year old self. But the rest of them were a little over my head. I wasn't quite tracking with the social commentary and the racist, oh. you know, racism themes and the other stuff going on. I was all over my head for for, for all of that. Well, and that's that's the thing. Um, actually, I want to do one comment first, just because. Well, Lauren, I'm sorry, you're not going to get this, but you're such a bully, you don't deserve to get it. <laughs> Lauren's a bully, but you mentioned Speed Racer. Yeah. And for American kids, you know what Speed Racer was? He was a bullshit ripoff of roger ramjet i never was aware of heard of or even familiar with roger ramjet it was speed racer exclusively for me as a kid you never heard of roger ramjet nah never oh he used to it's horrible you can look him up now there was a big cartoon probably in the 60s but i watched it as a kid 
Oh. He would take a pill that would make him super fast and hyper. Ramjet was popping speed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Great for kids. Well, I saw a science fiction movie where um, Vincent Price was given a deaf woman LSD. So, you know, things in roundabout. Tingler. Yeah. Okay. Roger Ramjet. Oh, that looks kind of like in the style of George of the Jungle. and Same company, same time. Yep. Yeah, those comics, right. I remember those, George, George, George of the Jungle. But somehow I never remembered Roger Ramjet. But for me, I, I don't know that I would even agree that Speed Racer was a ripoff. What, weren't the Speed Racer kind of extended length episodes? They weren't short, right? They were kind yeah, of. Yeah, it's just, I, I like to say, because Roger Ramjet was the hero of our nation, as the theme song said, and he was in a car. <laughs> Speed Racer is just some interloper. Oh, I see. Okay. I, I did well, not get the... Uh... Of Joe 90. Like what Jerry was And okay. they all just rip off of Joe 90. Oh, here we go. Oh. <laughs> okay. Sure. I've seen Joe 90. <laughs> I've never once heard of Joe 90. Who is Joe 90? <laughs> He's like the British version. It's um, it's like the same thing as Stingray and Thunderbird, Super Marionation, because um. Oh, the marionette. Yeah. yeah. Oh yes, yes, I remember those too. Yes. They were. Creepy, I never liked they? them. I thought they were hokey when I was a kid. I was like, "What is this? This is for children," and I was a child, but I was like, "No." <laughs> I love Thunderbirds. The Stingray oh. is my favorite. <laughs> what I what I what I did like was Team America. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love Team America. I, I, yeah, um, that, that yeah. was that was uh, correct. That was good use of the marionette. I, I was just old enough to go and see it in the cinema, and I have to admit that that at one point I was laughing so hard I was in pain, and I yeah. had to. I had to get on the floor and crouch down to continue laughing because I was in pain. It was, was, it, was, it, was it when the black cat was the panther? I don't that know. Was, that was the bit that got me when it was just a regular house cat that was supposed to be the giant panther that was going to kill him. I, or I, the sex scene. Well, yeah, the sex scene was outrageous. The vomit scene was outrageous. I just I, I all anyway it was awesome it was an cool awesome Matt movie. Damon, Matt Damon. Yes. oh Matt Damon yeah oh my god <laughs> but we're here to talk so, about our love of science fiction yeah <laughs> apes 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 is what attracted me big time wow and and it and believe it or not, it wasn't the movie initially. It was the TV series, the 1974 TV series, which I don't know if, when's the last time you've seen it. Oh, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I I, I remember having the lunchbox, which is badass. I wish right? I had that. Yeah, going to school now. with the lunchbox. I remember that and the thermos, and uh, and I remember the TV show being around, but it was so short lived because it was only one season. So it was kind of in and out of my life. You know? Not even one season, yeah. Yeah. Now, what's amazing yeah. about it, we could do this right on the air. I mean, obviously, since we're audio only, people aren't going to see it. But you can look this up while we're here. Mm-hmm. The original opening sequence to the TV series. Mm, don't remember the, that. The music, not only is the music haunting, but the pretty much the closing shot of the opening sequence 
is the silhouette of the gorilla soldier in the sun. And it is haunting to this day. When I watch it, I get that kind of like goosebumpy feeling. Oh, here it is. Last shot. Yeah. It's only here about it a minute long. Yeah. I, uh, it is so good and so well done. Abort mission, Earth time. Yeah, there they are. Oh, my God. This is total blast from the past right now. Yeah. But after they do James Naughton, which is the last actor who gets a credit. Yeah, I'm just skipping the to the I'm end here. About. Oh, yeah, there it is. The whole silhouette thing with the ape and holding up the gun oh yeah and then it fades in uh, then it goes to the sun okay yeah yeah cool i mean that's really a haunting image yeah i mean it's it really well done and it holds up all these years 50 years later that was made 50 years ago that's right that's now, right i, I was four years it. old i couldn't place it when i um when you were talking about it and then i remember i have seen the tv series my dad liked it. I watched it with my dad when I was younger. Yeah, yeah. And, and the TV series, the episodes hold up pretty well. Do they? Very well. The writing, the ideas, some of it's a bit hokey because it was 1970s TV. Sure. But, you know, the reason it was canceled, I found this out after 13 episodes, 12 actually because one didn't air. Mm. Uh, episode 12, they wouldn't air because mm. it dealt with a poison gas people were using. And this was the time of the Agent Orange trials. And oh, sure. It was too much social commentary. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's in the it's in the release now. And when it, they replay it in the box set, it's there. But. The reason it was canceled, it was getting good ratings, but it was all kids watching it. And right. back in the 70s, they only wanted the 18 to 35-year-olds because that's the marketing numbers for, to, pay, to pay for things. And the other network put their best shows up against it to try to kill it. It was still getting good ratings. Hmm. But what really killed it is in 1974, it was over $250,000 per episode to make. Too expensive. Way too expensive because they, I mean, they had to right. use professional Hollywood makeup studios, Hollywood's, I mean, too big budget. And <clears throat> most people who are fans of the original films love that TV series. Mm. What they might not like so much is the animated series. Now that I never had any remembrance of exposure to any more than I really ever watched. And this, this might surprise you and, and disappoint you even, but I never watched the Star Trek animated show either. I would Which see like two or three minutes of it at a time. And it was before I really got into Star Trek was when the animated series was on. I kind of got into Star Trek after the fact of that. So I remember Star Trek and I remember Planet of the Apes as animated series. But I, I was somehow just never clicking with them for some reason. Well, the funny thing about the Planet of the Apes series, the animated series, it's almost exactly like the TV series in that there was like 13 episodes and then it disappeared. Same thing. Okay. They never finished the story. They never did a second series. 
it's interesting in a way that it kind of combines the original two films with the original Pierre Boulet novel or Pierre Boulle, I'm sorry. Mm. In that the apes are more technologically advanced. There's helicopters and cars and trains, but it's also the astronauts land and are stuck in ape world. And it combines. And this was in the, the animated, the animated yeah, series. We're the animated, about. and it combines the people that live underground. The mutants are there too. So. Uh, okay. But it's worth watching for one reason and one reason only. And again, Chris, this is for Americans our age. Mm-hmm. The TV series. I yeah, I told Lauren this, and she yeah. laughed at me. The TV series and the animated series both use the character of General Urko as the main villain. In the TV series, he's portrayed brilliantly by Mark Leonard. Mm-hmm. Sarek. Mm-hmm. Sarek from so, Star Trek, yeah. Any Star Trek fan will recognize <laughs> that's Sarek. He's Urko. But in the animated series, Urko is voiced by an actor named Henry Corden. Hmm. Now, the name might not sound familiar. Vaguely. <laughs> but Henry Corden was a voice actor who most famously took over for Alan Reed when he died as the voice of Fred Flintstone. Oh, okay. Well, Urko and Fred Flintstone are basically just Henry's real voice. So Urko in the cartoon saying, let's kill these humans, is Fred Flintstone. All you can hear is Fred Flintstone saying these horrible things because their voices were eaten. He just used his regular voice for them, tried to make it a little more gruff. But Urko is Fred Flintstone in the animated series. It makes it really weird. That does make it really weird. I wonder if that's one of the subliminal reasons for its cancellation. I bet it fucked a lot of kids up. Might have. I have. Like I said, I can't remember why I didn't watch it. I just can't. Re- it doesn't really stick out for me. I remember I, I have many more memories of, of of the Star Trek animated series for some bizarre reason, even though I wasn't even watching that. But, uh, yeah, Planet of the Apes was something that always felt above. I don't know why I was a voracious reader. I really did understand things, but somehow the social comments, somehow it seemed like I was missing something out of the Planet of the Apes shows. Like there was some subtext or something going on that was going over my head. And I knew enough that it was going over my head, you know, and I'm and I'm like, I, I, I think this is really literally when I was like eight, nine, ten years old. Yeah. And I just passed on it. I couldn't I it never I never connected with it, you know. And that's what you were missing was age and experience and knowledge. Yeah. Um. As an adult going back and watching them, you can still enjoy it as a kid level, like talking monkeys. But at the same point, you know, you're in Colorado, smoke a little weed, watch the talking monkeys. You'll love it. But you'll get all that social commentary. That's right. That's right. How powerful it is. Yeah. And that's that's what I picked up on in reviewing it now. So sorry, Lauren. I was going to say, who's being the bully now? Accusing people of of, uh, smoking marijuana. That's not nice, Brian. I'm just <laughs> guessing because, you know, shouldn't guess, shouldn't guess. <laughs> yeah, Brian, it's really yeah. rude to just guess like that. 
see how relaxed he is? <laughs> um, but I do want to say that on reviewing all of it, I mean, you know, I, I, it was, it, I get it. Like, there, <laughs> excuse me, there was some deeper messages there than <laughs> talking apes, right? Yeah. So I can appreciate that now. I don't know that I necessarily think it was the best execution of the concept, but it, it, you know, it worked. It was a hit, especially the first movie. And, uh, and there you go. I was not a big fan of Tim Burton's. I was wondering what your thoughts were on the whole, on the re on Tim Burton. And then on the more modern reboot, practically yeah. reimagining of the, of the origin story of the whole thing. Um, I'll do the Tim Burton one last. Uh, the uh-huh. the, re-imag- the reimaginings. The first one, I really liked. The one with um, James Franco. Yeah, the the one that. Um, oh, da, 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 da. oh my God! Why can't I think of his name? One of the greatest actors alive, John Lithgow, as the aging father. Mm. And them doing experiments to try to help the father with Alzheimer's. Mm. Um. I thought it was really well done. Totally reimagining of the, the entire concept and story. And I'm like, this is good. Mm-hmm. And then they tried to go to super fast, big budget, special effects in your face. Everything's crazy for all the sequels. Mm. The, the pacing of telling a story and taking your time, which is lacking in films these days. Mm-hmm. They used to be able to do that because people had a better attention span. Now, if you don't have five high-speed chase action sequences, people aren't going to watch it. Sure. And the original ape films, pretty much all were really slow. Yes. Drawn out and building the character and building the sense of dread in them. The new ones didn't have that. Great special effects. I appreciate it for that. I liked the first one a lot. Didn't like the direction they took after that. Uh, hmm. I don't think they're bad films. It's just that's not my apes. No, fair younger, enough. Interesting. Younger generation yeah, yeah. digs them. Great. But it's just like like the modern Star Wars is not your Star Wars. Uh, no, you're describing it perfectly. I get it. I totally get it. And I and I can totally empathize with that point of view. There's the original, you know, and our concepts and pleasure moments and everything we have connected with that and all the good memories and everything. And then there's the new stuff, and it's a whole different experience in a different context and a different time for us, and maybe we don't connect with it in the same way. That's certainly been true for me from with Star Trek and Star Wars. I, I think part of what really hurts the new ones is as good as the makeup and effects are, as good as the CGI is, as good as all that is, what made the first one, especially the first 68 Planet of the Apes, so special was the depth of character in the development that only a true actor can bring out no matter how much makeup they're wearing. Okay. And Roddy McDowell and Kim Hunter as, you know, Zero and Cornelius, you believed in those characters and their thoughts and their emotions and their things. And, you know, Maurice Evans as Zayas. You understood why he was like he was, how he was, because he wasn't just a CGI character doing what he's commanded to do. It was that depth of the actor in there that brought him to life. 
you know, CGI, a great effect is fantastic, but hey, you know, a CGI Hulk in one of these giant Marvel movies that makes no sense or Lou Ferrigno, which one's more believable? Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, not that Lou Ferrigno is a brilliant actor, but he's real. (laughs) Well, yeah, he brings the Hulk back into back into this universe in a more realistic way than, you know, what the MCU is about, which is kind of gotten a little bit too big. (laughs) Now, I will say having to see Charlton Heston's naked ass is not my favorite thing in the world. (laughs) Certainly not a selling point for me. No, no. Maybe it's the whole NRA thing and it makes me angry <laughs> from my cold, dead butt cheeks. There you go. But Well, I thought the direction they took, I mean, it's kind of, from what I was reading, I, again, I wanted to ask you about this because you're much more of a fan than I am, of the second movie. Because they ended everything. Yes. At the end and of it, they, right? They, yeah, they painted themselves into a corner with that one, didn't they? Everything's a prequel after that. Yep, and you know? brilliantly so. Interest, interestingly so. At least they managed to do a franchise um, the, that somehow was logically consistent in a way, at least. At least story-wise, they didn't blow it with obvious contradictions and retcons that didn't make a whole lot of sense, at least from my familiarity with it yeah. is that is that the case yeah they they made sense of that they 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 wanted to do a sequel well the studio did even though no one wanted to make the original film then it made all that money they wanted a sequel and they're like okay we'll do it if we can blow the planet up so you don't force us into more sequels <laughs> and then it makes a ton of money and they're like yeah we need another sequel like mm-hmm. we just blew the planet up uh have them go back in time mm-hmm. and 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 it made sense. They had the crash spaceship. If they had scientific engineers, they could do it. They get stuck in the t- same time where they end up in 1970s Earth. The whole cycle can start over. Yeah. I mean, I, that's that's a little bit of a leap for me because it wasn't, you know, bizarre time travel the way it began because of, of time dilation. That kind of yeah. made sense. The going backwards um, in time thing is kind of impossible. So that, that part... You know, kind of, I had to, I had to, you know, do a, what's the word, a suspension of disbelief to well, make that you know, one there work. there are talking monkeys. Well, it, exactly. <laughs> but, but I was down. I was like, okay, got it. You know, like, you know, the original crew kind of went in a great big circle, came back around, but, you know, it was far, far, far ahead in the future. I well, uh, went the with that. Okay with that. You know. Here's what made that, in in my opinion, brilliant. And. It could have mm-hmm. been a mistake on the filmmakers' parts. It could have been an oversight. But looking back at it now, it's brilliant. None of the timelines match up. Charlton Heston's character left from the, the 1990s, ended up there. In the second movie, where they come looking for Charlton Heston, they're from, they land 20 years after Heston, even though it's supposed to be right afterwards. When the apes travel back to modern day Earth, they're 25 years from before Heston left. So it right. kind of makes that they're not following a similar line. It's just everything's messed up. Hmm. That you know, it's not like we followed the same path to get back where he left from. No, they ended up like 25 years before he left. He'd have been a little kid when they landed on Earth. 
So it messes. Yeah, with I guess that does get into a little bit of a headache trying to start thinking about or diagramming that out a little bit. I wouldn't hmm. want to do it. I'd have to go into it in more detail. I'm I'm only again I'm only summarily sort of connected with that. Um, you know, in terms of all the details of it, that's, I hadn't thought about what you just said. That's interesting. It's a good point. Now the Wahlberg film, the Tim Burton version. Oh boy. Yes. I, um, Oh, actually, can I be, can I say something before you dive into that one? I want to go back on those, uh, on those reimagined ones that we have right now. Um, the the new ones because they're about to come out with another one in that series. Yep. Right now, and I'll right? go see it. Full... I, that's the problem. I'll go see it because I'm a sucker. But I think this one is the actual like you know the apes take over like for real like this is yeah, this, this is, is it. I think it's conquest or something, right? Yeah. Um, and I thought it was interesting because I really do think of this as like a reimagining. I think that's the best way to put it. Definitely. Um, right? Because you take this same. You know, in the original version, you had Roddy McDowell's character's son, who is also played by Roddy McDowell, uh, you know, uh, Caesar uh, from that original thing. But then they reimagine it as, no, no, he's the original from the genetic mutation thing, right? Genetic experimentation, which makes sense because what doesn't make sense is to continue or try to recreate the 1970s reason for humanity's downfall which is nuclear war right because at this point the idea of global nuclear war is far-fetched far far more far-fetched than it was in the 70s when the reality of it that you know that we grew up with was was a very different reality than the than the one now so the idea of genetic warfare germ warfare you know more advanced tech being used to create the apes or to enhance the apes and then how because it also explains them how, yep. Where's the intelligence come from? Where's the, you know, how, how did that happen? And it's all kind of compactly in there. I thought that was fairly smart reimagining from, from on my part. But again, I'm coming from not having been in love with the first version, too. So I just it, wanted to throw that out there. It was brilliant um, because they couldn't go with what the original one right. had. I mean, the you know, the explanation of why is there intelligence in the new in the original movies? Well, because. Zero and Cornelius, when they came back to the 70s, she was pregnant. She had That's a baby. right. There was the circular effect of that. That's right. That's right. She had a baby that they swapped with an actual baby chimp in the zoo, in, in, the, in the circus. So the circus guy protected the, the, the advanced right. baby. Caesar. The government thought they shot her baby when she was carrying the regular chimp. At the end of the movie, you find out. No, he raises Caesar as his own, and that's where the intelligence starts. He right. starts breeding. But that's an Adam and Eve story at that point, because how can one being create it? So they, they did a great job with the new ones explaining that. I thought so. Yeah. Now, the Mark Wahlberg one, where do I begin? Yeah. I was a huge Tim Burton fan. Was? And that's the film he jumped the shark on. Really? And what did you think jumped the shark? I think that's the movie. And I think this happens to a lot of filmmakers that are experimental filmmakers and or for lack of a better term, avant-garde filmmakers. They get too full of themselves and they think they're bigger and better than they are. 
and they go grandiose. Sometimes mm. it works, sometimes it doesn't. It worked great with Peter Jackson, even though I haven't liked any of the films he's made as this big Hollywood blockbuster filmmaker. I, the Lord of the Rings stuff bored me, and you know his remake of King Kong sucked. And um, well, I, I I don't disagree with you on King Kong, but my eyebrows are, are are off my head right now when you with what you just said about Lord of the Rings. I was never I a Tolkien that's... fan though, so that's oh. Okay, well, we're, we will simply agree to disagree and move I right know. on. Everybody says so we that. We will think you are stupid for your opinion. <laughs> I just, that, the only thing I liked about Tolkien is when Mark Bolin wrote songs based on it. <laughs> mm. but, yeah. Moving on. Moving on. Tim Burton. Well, it's, better than, it's better than saying that you liked it when Leonard Nimoy sang songs about Oh, I love oh my Leonard God, Nimoy's how could you Bilbo bring that Baggins. up? Bilbo. Oh, oh that's oh, like Baggins. talking about the Star Wars holiday special. Just we just don't go there. Oh, I was gonna bring that up. <laughs> no. Oh no. yeah. No, oh. Brian, you, you can't too much repetition. We talked about that last time. We, yeah, we, we, we get, you know we got to move on. No. Anyway, oh, you were talking about Tim Burton. I'm sorry. Everything. I totally, I, I totally messed this up. No, well, Burton made these great films. These kind of, you know, almost independent art films. And then he started thinking I'm Hollywood elite and I'm going to make a giant hundred million dollar big budget special effects film. And there's sure. No I mean, he had done Batman. He, he did, but even right? that, that was big budget. But even that he didn't go overboard with it. Yeah, I guess that's a matter of opinion, but yes. Okay. Well, I mean, it's not, Adam West Batman, okay? Oh no, 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 for sure. He he did something new and different and original with Batman that yes. I will always semi worship him for because it was awesome. And I loved um everything he done up to that point. I, my yeah. favorite film of his is Ed Wood. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that's a trippy movie. Now yes. he makes Edward Scissorhands. Edward Scissorhands brilliant. Yep. Mars Attacks, fun as hell, but yeah, Mars Attacks was was well executed, big budget also, right? About to, big you know, budget, but a... but tongue in cheek and fun. Yes, very much so, but but he, still big budget special effects. He and... tried to make apes into something more than it was. Uh huh. He missed the whole deep social commentary of the original. And he wanted to rely so much on the special effects and the action that what he missed was. And I remember going to see it the night it came out because being an apes freak, I was so excited. And I went with a buddy of mine. Um, Dan, you're probably listening. I went with you, Dan. You remember this. And the movie ended and he looked at me and he said, what did you think? And this is literally one minute after the credits rolled. And I said, Dan, I don't know the name of one fucking character in that movie. Who were they? Right. I, I mean, I literally just watched it and I couldn't name one of the characters. Right. There was no soul to it. There was nothing about it. It was just. That's what. Yeah. That was my takeaway. I, very. I think that's spot on um, because that's exactly how I felt at the end of it is empty of feeling for what happened. And then the big twist at the end was a big nothing burger for me because it didn't make any sense. 
No. And, and yeah. the thing with that twist ending was, I mean, they just pretty much took that from the novel. It, but they didn't explain the time travel aspect of it, so it didn't nope. really And they click. didn't use anything else from the novel. Exactly. So it was just this <laughs> random gotcha with no explanation. Like I said, it didn't make sense. It was like, wait a minute. Why would he go back? And it's different now. He was rushing to get back to his family and his life and all that. So there was no there was no question that we weren't including time dilation or real time physics in any of this. So there wasn't any time travel aspect to it. Therefore, it made no sense. And no. that was and he uh, never got to annoying. whip out his 13 inch dong in that one. What was that? And he never got to whip out his 13 inch dong. In oh, that my God. Oh, my God. Well, he had just made boogie nights before that. Yes, a fan, a, a, an amazing movie. Uh, it really truly is. great filmmaking. It, truly, truly great filmmaking. Unfortunately, we could talk about that for a whole episode. <laughs> what that movie, what that movie's based on, does not do justice to the to what the things it's based on. I mean, mm. first off, the John Holmes story is much darker and ends with massive cocaine abuse and AIDS and murder. You know, which doesn't happen in that film. Um, most of the people involved in that, the real events of that time ended up in prison for horrible things. In that movie, it's like a happy family where they're all so good to be together. Kind of sugarcoats the whole sleaziness of the industry. But great film. I love it. I love it. You're not wrong. Uh, still works as a movie for me, though. Because mm -hmm. I'm not in any way looking at that film as any kind of a documentary. No, I just took it on its own. I, I just took it for what it was. I didn't take it as this is a historically accurate piece of thing. I looked at it as a riff on historically accurate information. I, and I love it. And that's why I and, love it, because I watch it that way. But when I think yeah. about, OK, it's based on John Holmes and him robbing the guys based on the Wonderland murders and Eddie Nash. Oh, that ended in like five people's heads being bashed in and people going to yeah, and then he ended yeah. up with AIDS. Yeah, it was, and... But it was sort of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? It's like you take a truly tragic, horrible event in history, which is legit, mm -hmm. and then you go, hey, what if this happened? Yeah. And that's and I went with it. You know, you know what I – you know what uh, – since we're on this – since we kind of segued onto this for a second, you know what really negatively reacted to what I what I was shocked at how negatively I reacted to it? Was the end of um, Inglorious Bastards? Yes, my brother that said that one I rejected. That I, I was like, nope, I'm not on board with this. No, my brother said uh, the problem with Tarantino being so popular with young people for no reason is that there's going to be an entire generation of kids who think Hitler died in a theater. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's that's lame. But, of course, you can go out on the street right now and say, you know, how many people died in the Holocaust? And people look at you blankly and go, the Holocaust was in that a country? What do you, what do you mean? I, I yeah. don't know. Right. I, I, I have so a problem so with Tarantino. Yeah. I, I, I love Quentin Tarantino, but I, I do have a problem with that particular ending. I have a problem with him that I understand why other people don't, because I understand I'm uh, – you know, a spurg. I'm on the I'm on the spectrum with autism and have obsessions. Mm. And one of them is being a film nut and a film historian. That mm -hmm. I see all the films that Tarantino is ripping off 
although I would call it paying homage to them. But mm-hmm. half the time he keeps talking about how he invents new ways of making films. I'm like, dude, you just stole that from Dushan Makaveev. You just stole that from Jean-Paul Sartre. You know, I know what he's stealing. Well, he's I think he knows what he's I mean, I don't know that he's particularly hiding stealing is I, I, I don't call what he does stealing, but I I get he, what you're saying. He's taking credit for for things that I know where he took them from. OK, I don't think I I don't know that he's taking credit for them, because from the interviews that I've always seen, he's always been open about where he got them from. Right. He started he I, started I, to do that. I I always thought that his point was that he was trying to get people to watch the films that yes. he that he's trying to broaden people's palette rather than sort of say, ha ha, mm-hmm. I invented all this. And then, you know, yes, but not until he made the Kill Bill films. Before that, he was being like, look how creative and wild I am. But then he made the Kill Bill films and so many people saw what he was doing that he kind of had to fess up. And then Django, which he he took even the name of that one, so you can't hide that, you know. But that's just, that's me. That's a personal thing. I love Reservoir Dogs. His first film, I think, is absolutely brilliant. I think it's the best thing he ever did. Pulp Fiction was fun, but it kind of pisses me off because that's the one that really bothered me because I knew where he was stealing every bit of that film from. Mm. But, you know... I still love Tarantino. I'll still watch his films because as a craftsman, I think he's great, but it's the Spurg in me that gets pissed off. Not the, not the, well, let me ask you a question because only so I can understand. I'm seriously not arguing with you. I totally get where you're coming from. And I, and I appreciate the point of view. I I really do. Two things. One, um, he's got a book, which you might enjoy reading. Um, that he just put out. It's called, um, yeah, I read it. Um, I, I got it on Amazon, uh, hardcover. It's, um, cinema analysis or something like that. Um, and, you know, sorry, I'm going to take the time here. No, by I, all it, means. This is good. Um, cinema book. Cause it's a book about cinema speculation, what? cinema speculation. And the reason I bring that book up is because it's all about his upbringing. Um, and fascination with uh, a lifelong fascination with Hollywood, Hollywood cinema, especially new the the new wave directors seventies and yeah. you know all the all the the new Hollywood guys and um and he has a knowledge base which every actor who I've seen do interviews talking about him confirms. Yeah, it's real. This guy walks around and he's got this encyclopedia in his head. Oh, of, I of all say, this stuff. And and I and and I guess the only reason I'm saying all of this is because I wanted to ask you, how do you differentiate that from George Lucas, who did the exact same thing with Star Wars? And Indiana Jones. And Indiana Jones. And, and Indiana Jones, yeah. Yeah. Well, how I differentiate it is I don't. I always criticize Lucas for that. Oh, you did too. Oh, okay. You yeah, criticize Lucas I, I, as well. But, but, I, but I say he made a space fantasy and I go along with it. I know that it's Flash Gordon, mm-hmm. but it's fun. It's a space fantasy. I don't make a religion out of it. And I don't take him as serious as a filmmaker. Whereas Tarantino is meant to be a taken serious as a filmmaker, which is cool because there are very few filmmakers that 
you know, he's the only guy I can think of that people are saying, I'm going to see the new Tarantino film. Their mm-hmm. director, they're saying it. It's like people you say, I'm going to see the new Hitchcock film. I'm going, you know, I'm going to see. He's well, I, oh, you don't you don't see that in other people like the new Fincher film. No. Or the new Scorsese film. Scorsese, yes. Okay. But it took him it took him till modern times to get that, which is funny because his better films didn't have that. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. See, because I've had a very different view of these directors and my relationship with them over the years, because that's how I have been. A Nolan film. Yeah. Um, you know, these are name you know, the, the the director is practically, you know, the headline star along with the with the people in the movie. And so, you know, I didn't go see Oppenheimer because I like Killian Murphy. He's a great actor, but he's not why I went and saw that movie. Christopher Nolan is, um, you know, Scorsese with, uh, you know, Depart. I mean, Jesus, I mean, where do you even begin with Scorsese? Uh-huh. Taxi yeah. driver forward. Right. I mean, everything uh, mean streets. I mean, Jesus. So. um there's a there's I think these directors and I think the concept of directors having appeal is not an, an oddity or a or an isolated thing to only Tarantino. No, but for for, for people that are that commercially successful, because of yeah. all those that you mentioned, I mean, until Oppenheimer, he wasn't as commercially successful a director. Okay. Had, no one? Well, well, no, he had big that. films, but not. The Batman series? I'm yeah. going to disagree with that. Uh, I no, 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 strongly no, no, no. disagree. What I'm, what, I'm, what I'm saying is he, he was a genre filmmaker, so he had the big genre films. Okay. He okay. wasn't what the film critics would call a respected filmmaker that the general public also liked, because that's a rare thing now. Tarantino had that. Scorsese got I, that look, later look, in life. I disagree. I disagree totally. Mm-hmm. Coming from where my first degree was film and English literature, there aren't, there weren't many critics that liked Tarantino. They thought he was too big for his boots. They were very critical about him. So no, I don't until now. And I, I, I know that's what I'm saying oh, now, okay. even though he has the legitimate fan base, he, he should, which is fine. And, and I, I always say I criticize him so much, but I think me and him would stay up seven nights in a row talking without sleep. I think me and him would get along famously. But I, I I don't know that he's ever made a movie and not acknowledged his sources, yeah. although I think I think he was figuring things out in his first couple movies and trying to make his way in the industry and, and, and figuring out who he was as a director. And I think Kill Bill is where it starts really coming together for him in terms of storytelling. And, it, it, that, and that's and, when he you know. and, and that's where Burton lost it. Around that same time. I think that's what we've got to remember, though, is that when you see somebody on the television screen being interviewed, you're seeing a curated version of themselves. Yes, that's true. Being edited. So the fact is, is he could have sat there with the presenter and talked for three hours and given all the references, but they cut all that out. And which I'm sure he did. What to remember is that he is answerable to the studios, and the studios probably would have told him. When, you know, we're not paying you to sit there, you know, and be interviewed and say where you've got all these wonderful influences from or how this director influenced you. So yeah, you're I think, here to market this. I, yeah, yeah I, exactly. He's, you know, he is, as far as the studios are concerned, he is a product. His film is a product and they are going to be marketed as such. So to sort of criticize yeah. for not always being um, up front is, is, 
is you've got to consider the fact is, is that maybe he didn't have the agency or the license to do that until he became so famous that he could go, I'm Quentin Tarantino, I can do what I want. Sort and, of I, thing. and I guarantee you, Lauren, you're right that they're edited highly down because if you've ever seen him just talk, he is so high strung and hyper that, you know, he's talking for an hour at a time. He is. I actually met people who've met him and interacted and like with I said, him. I actually like yeah. him. Just always. Oh, yeah, no, he's an interesting guy. I think I want to know what you think about all of this after you read his book. I, that I will do. Yeah, I think you'll now, like it. I think the one filmmaker now that didn't fall into that trap, like like Lauren, you so you know brilliantly described as a be a byproduct of the studio that has to answer the studio that has to market for the studio. The one modern filmmaker who's never had that was David Lynch because everything he did was independent with the exception of Dune. So he didn't, which is why a guy like Lynch makes the film Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Okay. It wins the Los Angeles Critics Circle Award, the Toronto Critics Circle Award, the Vancouver Critics Circle Award, uh, Cannes Film Festival, um, New York Critics Circle Award. Golden Globe, I believe it was nominated or won, and then it doesn't get an Oscar nomination, one of the five. But that's but that's different. You've no, got but the reason is with, the reason is is because he doesn't like, play the studio game because he doesn't have to. No, and he's making he's making his films for the critics. Whereas, you know, when you're when you're working for a studio, you don't have that luxury. And it is a luxury. Well, You've I don't got to, you do I, say. I don't think he is. I don't think he's making it for the critics. I don't think he cares. I think he's just an artist with a vision, but he doesn't have to answer to anybody. And if they love it, fine. If they don't love it, fine. But I'm not going to bribe the Hollywood system to get me an Oscar nomination. In fact, he exposed that whole thing when he was asked, how did you not even get one of the five nominations when you were given every other award that year? And he says, because I refused to take out a an ad in their program. You know, it's all about the studio has to market to get a film nominated. And I don't have to but play that, that game. But, but, but post-production activity of, of how you're going to market your film or whatever is, I suppose, speaks to, you know, the person. Although David Lynch is not the only person involved in marketing his film. There yep. is a marketing department of studios that exists for that reason. And if he's not going to do studio films, he's not going to get their work, you know, and that's then he's not going to get the benefits of it. I'm sure he'd be just as happy as anybody else to stand on the stage and get an Oscar. But he's but if he's not going to play that game, he doesn't have to. I'm curious how that relates to the film quality or or anything, though, because I don't I don't connect those two dots particularly. Is that just you're just making that point as in terms of Lynch's character? No, that Lynch is the only one. Like you said, Tarantino has to go out and market the film because the studio's his job for the studio is to promote the film. Mm -hmm. Whereas Lynch has the luxury of not having to do that. So he can be open and honest all the time and say, fuck you if he wants, whereas Tarantino can't. So I'm actually, what I'm saying is I understand why Tarantino does what he does. Oh, I, I, I I get your premise. Let me push back on that a little bit because I get where you're coming from, but I don't know that I agree that Tarantino is some, I, I get your positioning him as sort of an employee or servant to this to the studio system. Well, he was and was, and I don't think Tarantino is that, and I don't no. think he's 
ever been that because his movies, it, well, his movies are things that studios have always pushed back on, and he's always stood his ground and not taken out or removed or changed yeah. things they've wanted him to change, all the way back which, which to Weinstein why. with Reservoir Dogs and the torture scene. Yeah. So I think he's an artist who has a vision well, based too. on his love of the lore of movie making as he sees it and understands it. And that's what he puts together on the screen. And yeah. I think that's the same thing as George Lucas, just a different genre that they appreciate and love so much. And the different genres, I should say. I, that's my take on him. I agree that I don't think I see him as as something somebody that is controlled by the studio, but because mm-hmm. of the way that he is, he's very excitable. They might coach him to calm down, and they might yes. also. <laughs> and the, the the TV studios, yep. the TV studios might just edit it because it's to them they wouldn't appreciate it. No, that's, so that's what, what that's what I was that's what I was agreeing with. What your point on yeah. that that that's yeah. is, is, how it happens. And, and the thing is, is with David Lynch, he wouldn't go on on big tangent tangents like Quentin Tarantino. He no. would be more succinct. And he's and a he, quiet guy. Very. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I don't think it's I don't think it's he's doing it because he's David Lynch or you know because Quentin. I just think it's the different personalities. Yeah. Oh, and, yes. And I think I think they're both on an autism in, scale, but different as, ends of it. When you're um, when you're in front of the camera, or when you're being managed, or when PR is involved, you're given a brief. Mm-hmm. And I think they're just trying to keep to the brief. Exactly, uh, that's I, what I was I was I, agreeing I with you. <laughs> I, I don't think you can say it's because he's doing this because he's David Lynch and he's doing that because Quentin Tarantino was controlled by the studios. I don't think that's true of either of them. No, no, I no, just no, think, no, no, that's not I think what I was saying. I, I was agreeing was. with you, saying that his interviews are, are cut and edited and he's given talking points that he has to go with. I was agreeing with you on that. I said, and the sad thing is that happens to everybody. They have to do that with the exception of a David Lynch because he doesn't have to deal with any of the studio stuff. I, I wasn't drawing a comparison between the two. I was just saying, this guy's lucky he doesn't have to do that. Uh, I understand I what you're saying about Tarantino, and I agreed with you. And I'm saying it's too bad he couldn't be more like Lynch and be able to say exactly what he wanted all the time, I, probably because there's not enough time in the day I, for everything he'd want to say. I wouldn't well, agree yeah. that David Lynch doesn't have things to deal with because his films would still have to be distributed and he would still have to behave and say things that are acceptable to still have his films distributed. Because if he annoyed somebody to the extent where he was saying outrageous things and what he said about the Oscars wasn't outrageous because that is a frustration that is felt in every aspect of the filmmaking industry. So he's just he just doesn't feel the need to sugarcoat it. But I don't think he I don't think you can say, oh, he doesn't have to deal with that because he's David Lynch. There are lots of lots of things he will have to deal with and he will have to deal. uh, He'll have to toe a line as everybody that has a film that they want to market would have to toe a line. But but the thing with him is the weird thing about him is and it's really weird about him is that he doesn't. Because. He has his partner may be doing that. Like he never did the marketing for twin peaks. Frost did all that. Yeah. Yeah. Frost. Yeah. You never saw Lynch doing it. But then maybe, Lynch that like, him, maybe that is him towing the line. 
because no, I think I'm going to be outrageous just, and I, get I think us into trouble. Genuinely doesn't care about it. I, I would you would you agree that Lynch is an art house director? Oh, without a doubt, um, right. he's an art house director who got lucky, and he says this all the time. Mm-hmm. I got so lucky that the second film I ever made, the first non-student slash independent film I ever made, was a big budget. Hollywood studio movie that got eight Academy Award nominations and I had total creative control over. An unknown filmmaker given final cut and creative control over a big budget Hollywood film that gets nominated for eight Oscars, that doesn't happen. It's a freak Mm. one in a billion shot. He says, and I was lucky because of that. I never had to deal with studios again. Mm. I could be what I wanted to be. But right. my name is David Lynch because, and he says, and if it wasn't for Mel Brooks, I wouldn't be David Lynch. Right. But that's, you see, but that's it. It's the confidence people had in Mel Brooks. Yes. And yeah, exactly. His, and he, has, he has an absolutely exceptional eye for talent. Oh, oh. yeah. Yeah, he does. So, I mean, if, if, if Mel Brooks tells you somebody is good, you believe him. And that's that's the thing is it's talent. It's all about being spotted and having the right people invest in you and create an atmosphere for you to thrive. Well, that's the thing about Mel. Mel Brooks based his future on that film. I'm forming my own company. It's going to be Brooks Films. This is probably all of his own money in real life. I mean, he probably Mm -hmm. invested in that company. And this first film I'm going to make I'm going to make a black and white Victorian era tearjerker with big actors and a director no one's ever heard of because he made a weird avant-garde midnight art film. But I have such confidence in him. I'm going to give him final cut script credit and total creative control. But that's the thing. That's Mel Brooks. That's genius of Mel Brooks. He was right. But then you've got to see as well as like somebody once took the same chance on Alfred Hitchcock with Rebecca. Yes. But in much different times, because by the yes, time, Lynch, it's, by it's, the time Lynch still, was doing it, we're talking multi-millions of dollars. It, yeah. It's still the same. It's still the same risk. It's yes. still the same chance that, that it, it, the, the money might be different. And that's because of inflation. I mean, if you try to compare them and you inflated the amount that was spent on Rebecca, you might see a comparison in the, you know, yeah, today, but it was also the studio, whereas this was the Brooks film. It was probably his whole life savings invested it, into that company. Sure, make or break. No, 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 no. Splitting hairs now. It is still the same opportunity. Somebody opportunity. Took, yes. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Somebody still took an opportunity on someone that was unknown, that hadn't been made, that hadn't been a director in their own right, that had always worked alongside another director and had been the second director on a, on a film set and gave him a chance. So it's just oh, like, no. yeah, yeah. You, you, you're, you're acting like I'm disagreeing with you. No, I was agreeing with you. It was about the brilliance of Brooks giving him that chance and having the faith in him and knowing I picked the right guy. Whereas most people would be second guessing themselves or double thinking it or do Brooks. Like you, like you said, Brooks recognizes the talent, has faith in it. If he makes up his mind, he knows it's right. 
and he's going to go with his gut. Yeah, and he did. I mean, that's, that's not what happened. Of course, of those eight Academy Awards, how many did it win? I don't remember. Zero. But it doesn't no. matter what. It doesn't matter. The awards don't matter. <laughs> the awards are an equivalent of your teacher giving you a certificate at the end of the week saying you've been a good girl or a good boy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I, I love. I love. Some of the greatest. John some Hurt's of the greatest have never won anything. Oh, absolutely. John Hurt says. He's glad nobody won in the Oscars. He goes, you know, we got nominated for eight Oscars, and I'm glad none of us won it. Because if one or two of us would have won it, we'd have been jealous of each other. This way, we're all in the same family together still. We went through this and came out equal. But look, you know, and in recent years, the Oscar, to some actors, has been a bit of a millstone. Oh, yeah. So, you know, why would you, why is it that you're trying to work towards winning an award, which actually at the end of the day really doesn't mean anything and doesn't guarantee you work anymore? No, and it used because, to. Because on on the term, on the turn of opinion or public opinion, are you saying the wrong word one day, you're gone. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's 2024. Yeah, it's uh, our culture, but it'll change. That, yeah, that let's get change. back to sci-fi. We got to get back to we were on Apes, we were on Tim Burton, which led to Tarantino, yes. which led to Hitchcock, which led to Lynch. Which see, I'm a nerd. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's terrible. Um, we should do a whole. Hitchcock well, I think episode. we agreed. I think we agreed on the fact that Burton's Planet of the Apes was not his best foot forward. Yeah, this whole thing was Burton's Planet of the Apes sucked dick. <laughs> I have a theory as to why it was made, though. I have a good theory of why it has to be made. And I said this all the way through university. It was made because he must have had a very large phone bill to pay. Yeah. What? Well, he must have needed the money to pay a bill. That's why he made it. Well, yeah, that and uh, who do you remember what studio made it? Because they threw up. Fox, of I, money was it? Fox? I thought Fox, because they're the ones who own it now, for sure, for sure. Because oh my God, did they throw money at that like you wouldn't believe, and it failed. Yeah, it was just not a great movie. I mean, I remember, like you said, you know, we it was just critically just not a it was just not a great movie. But um, let me check here. Planet of the Apes. Burton. I'm not even gonna bash Marky Mark. Okay. Ha. <laughs> 2001. Um, okay, yeah, this was the one that was in development hell forever. Because this is the one that had uh, four or five different scripts. Schwarzenegger was attached to it. It was just kind of all over the place. And Oliver Stone was going to take a crack at it. Um, Columbus, Chris Columbus was going to work on it. James Cameron was in talks about it. Then Titanic happened and he moved on. So, yeah, yeah, that that thing had a it was 10 years of development hell before it even got before it even got to Burton. It's interesting. Columbus, I think, could have done a good job with a film like Planet of the Apes. But I think he moved on to Harry Potter quite. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, the striking visuals and B-movie charms may win you over, but it can't compare to the original in some critics minds. It's got a 5.5 five out of 10 on IMDb and 50 out of 100 on uh, Metacritic. Well, that's about 4.1 higher than I'd have given it. Yeah, 44% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, respectful to the original, respectable in itself. This is uh, Roger Ebert saying this, but that's not enough. 
10 years from now, it will be the 1968 version that people are still renting. But that always yeah. happens. I don't want to use that as criticism. In fact, let's bring that into the science fiction realm. Um, yeah. All these great science fiction movies that are remade, how many of them are more successful than the original, no matter how much money or marketing they put into them? Yeah, no, they're, I mean, they're, I don't, I don't know. I mean, money wise, I think they make more money than the original just because of the economy and all that shit. And then movie going audience is larger. So I would, I don't know how the Ghostbusters, for example, compares, but, no, but look, at, look I, at a movie like Day the Earth Stood Still. One of the great films ever made, you know, the, the original yeah. Robert Wise version with, with Michael mm-hmm. Rennie and, it's still a classic. It's still played on cable television to this day. And most people who like science fiction, they don't even have to love science fiction. As long as they like science fiction, they know that film. Hollywood makes a hundred million dollar re- reboot of it. Does anybody even remember that it came out? Not really. You're talking about the Keanu Reeves version, right? Yeah. But that- yeah. 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 It wasn't, it was, there was nothing remarkable about it. There's a thing about remakes or reimaginings, and I like reimaginings more than I like remakes these days, personally. Yeah. Because I think that they can bring a whole new set of circumstances to, you know, a set of characters or a plot device or an idea or a theme and develop it in a whole different way. And I like it when they get creative and imaginative and it works at at, at least for me and i'm thinking of a movie like for example this is not sci-fi but um one of the best examples i can think of 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 what i'm talking about here was uh fright night oh okay you liked it better than the original i i did not like the reimagining better i liked it as much Okay. And for completely different reasons than I liked the original. And I was so delighted to be given that experience. You, you I think brought it's, up my favorite genre, actually, is I, horror. Oh, so. oh there we I go. Think as well, um, um, a reimagining is you sort of get the impression that somebody is taking the toys out of the play box and doing something completely new with it. A remake sort of... Um, gives you the flags that something was was wrong with the original so it already gets you back up a little bit yeah um, and i think as well because we have in a way lost the art of storytelling whereas in the past where you know the sets wobbled but the acting was so good and the stories were so compelling and the themes were there and it was hitting you in a different way that you could lose yourself in that world and the wobbling sets you didn't notice the wobbling sets until somebody 30 years later pointed out to you that the sets wobbled but it's because they created an atmosphere fear where your disbelief was taken away from you at the door you didn't have to suspend it it was just taken away from you and yeah. you could just lose yourself in those worlds well they're, sure. they're, the people a lot of a lot of uh critics and historians and things will say the reason is is because for the longest time, studios were run by businessmen, but they let the artists run the product. Right. And now the businessmen run the product, too. Right. It was well, because they're trying to diversify, because movies are not the full product anymore. No. And even a marketing arm of a movie is not the full product anymore. Nope. Yep. Now it has to be 
you know, multi-platform. It has to be multi, uh, you know, diversified in every possible way. It's not just a movie. It's a TV show. It's an anime. It's a video game. It's, you know, it's a, it's a YouTube video. It's, it's all these different independent creations all based on this IP. It's an IP now, not a movie. And that's the world that we've kind of converted, you know, at least the, the big blockbuster industry is on now. And I think it's starting to, I think that pendulum is starting to already swing back with what we've seen coming out of Disney recently well, uh, with Bob Iger is- backpedaling, you know, because Disney's crashing. Well, and, and that's and you're you're right. It's it's a product, not a film anymore, and it's right. a piece of a puzzle because the proof of that is they only care about opening weekend numbers. You never see anything but opening weekend numbers because they just need to make enough in that opening weekend that they know everything's fine. You know, Star Wars was in the the, the original Star Wars was in the theater something like thirty six weeks. Hmm. It had nothing to do with opening weekend numbers. Although you know, it had amazing opening it weekend did numbers, have and that amazing was kind of the point, right? Or, and there were films, that, especially in the 70s, that did nothing the first week, but word of mouth started getting around slowly and slowly sure. and slowly, and by four weeks it was a hit. That doesn't right. happen now because it doesn't happen. It does. It does happen. It does, but it, tends, it happens seen. in different media, doesn't it? Right? Like yes. DVD or yes. converse streaming, it, and then, it, it then it's a hit on streaming. Yes. It does happen with some films because when I worked in the cinema, you'd have something that's started off in screen four or five because the company didn't think it was going to make any money. And right. then, um, then you know, it would disappear after two weeks and then you'd get people asking about it. And then you get people complaining to head office about where this film is. You know, it's only just come out. So it would come back. See, but it would in America, back. they don't come back. Once they're gone, they're it, gone in America. That's because, you know, where run, you know, cinemas in america are run they're not not all of them are chains in the uk every apart from one or two examples everything is a chain everything is run by a head office you are answerable to head office customers can complain to head office whereas in america and we were always jealous of this because we were um, around our cinema we passed around the video of the of the answer machine message that uh, an irate customer had left at a cinema complaining about how she was told to be quiet and when she wasn't being quiet she was asked to leave and then they were they put up the caption respect other patrons don't be like linda and we were just like we wish we could do this because you can't ask people to leave now if they're being disruptive it's not safe for you to do that. They will literally get really nasty with you. But it's always customer service, customer service, customer service to the point where you've got to annoy three other people just not to get a massive complaint about your cinema. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, America, we're just like, you know. Whatever. Yeah. We don't I mean, shit. I don't know. Unless you go to Alamo Draft House, then then they're, you know, pretty uh, pretty authoritarian about, you know, no cell phones and uh, yeah, don't and they charge talk. you a thousand dollars to go to a film. too. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. They'll, and they will come kick you out. I mean, oh, the yeah. Alamo Draft House does not mess around. No cell phones. Yeah. Your cell phone goes off and somebody complains about it. You're out of there. Um, and know? also as well is, you know, now the films aren't on celluloid anymore. They come on hard drives that you put into the projector and you program mm, them. And I've, right. I've had to do that. But there's also something. That's also something sad about that because there used to be these shops. I don't know if you have them in America where they would have um, 
a bit of the film on on a on a board in a picture and you used to be able to buy parts of your favorite film and now you can't do anymore so the material culture of films is changing as well it is and some of the um some of the um that's why some of the um New Hollywood directors from the 70s, right? Spielberg, Lucas, et cetera, Nolan, all these guys are really, uh, Scorsese are into also getting theaters decked out still with 50, you know, the, the, with the 50 millimeter and the, and the high end stuff, uh, non digital to try to keep that, the spirit of that alive because there's, you know, nothing quite like film versus digital or whatever. And I it's, have- a, it's an interesting, but the thing is, it's it's change, it's progress. It has to. I mean, this uh, this whole industry is, you know, but what's what, really 100 sad. years old, 120 years old? I mean, it's not like this oh, is... Oh, 140 now. Yeah, it's not... this, And it's been changing the entire time. Yeah. What's you know, really I think, sad. I think we get hung up on... The the, 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 the the part of it we get, we grew up with is the part we think is the right one. <laughs> See, I, my only concern is in having physical media, actually having yes. a movie. Yes. Because when everything goes digital, everything goes streaming, the, the promise was everything's going to be there forever. Yeah, so that's right. Anything could disappear at any time. Thank you for bringing this up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm, actually, I'm actually in the process of regaining physical possession of copies of uh, at least digital copies of all my favorite music and movies and everything so that I will have it with me. Cause go try to find anywhere right now, uh, a copy of cocoon, go try to watch it somewhere. Yeah. You can't, it's you can't find not it available for streaming unless you buy it, rent it. And even then, you know, there's films that I bought on mm-hmm. streaming services that are gone now, never got mm-hmm. my money back. And I, bought the film but it doesn't exist anymore exactly i know it's this is a bit of a controversial thing but it's like birth of a nation has been cancelled and it's like yes there are many problematic things to that film but to totally cancel it so we can't use it to educate people about how overt racism used to be means that in 50 60 years time we could be making the same mistakes uh D.W. Griffiths, because we don't have that example to go, please don't do this. Which exactly. Perfect segue. I can't stand. What's that? Perfect segue. That goes right back to Planet of the Apes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you will make the same mistakes again if you're not taught about those mistakes, which is right. one of the lessons. History will repeat itself. Right. We're going through that now in America. Oh, it's awful. And I and it's the and it's the same mindset that we're plagued with, um, you know, all the way back in history uh, to the book burnings and the witch burnings and the this burnings and the that burnings and the and the the need to, you know, Pandora's box, anything you don't like. Right. Because that's how we're going to contain the evil of the world. And, uh, you know, what a dumb, uh, dumb um, premise, you know, because it's not how any of this ever works. No. I loved, by the way, uh, Ricky Gervais recently solved the statue, histor- you know, historical problem, right? Let's take down all these landmarks. Let's take down all these statues. No, 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 no. Don't take anything down. Add to them. Add to the nameplate. Put the rest of the description of who yes. this motherfucker was, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, General <laughs> Lee. Yeah, he's the guy who led the Southern charge and 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 uh, organized all the troops, and he owned X number of slaves, and he fought for the right for people to be owned. That's yep. what this man did, and put that very prominently on that plaque. And that way, we're not losing history; we're learning from it. You know, that's that's the biggest problem with decolonizing collections is that is that is what the aim of decolonizing collections is is to not like you once a description is written that essentially becomes part of the history of the object. What you what your aim should be is to add to it, add to the way that society changed, the way that this the way that we view the object has changed you can't just delete the problematic description exactly. of problematic history you need to say yeah this is absolutely problematic but aren't we glad we're not like this now that's what you need to be doing and that's what i love that about ricky Gervais, yep. is that's what he's saying yep. i mean because um in the play history boys the the history teachers when he's preparing them for the entrance exam into university he's saying that you know, look at war memorials. They aren't respecting anybody because they're the they're the art of they're part of the art of forgetting. Because you've got that there, you don't have to think about somebody every day because that's what the memorial does. But the memorial can't do that because it's not it doesn't have a brain. It can't think. It can't do anything. It's just a piece of granite or something with a name on it. It's not remembering right. anybody. It's up to us to remember. I I think that Chris will understand this more than you will, Lauren, because America's going through massive changes in the past decade. I know. I know. It's it's like it's like looking back at our at especially the religious bits. Um, it's like looking back at Britain hundreds yeah. of years ago, and I'm going yeah. no. Um, but also as well, because I actually shocked some people in my church because I was because ex- they were explaining why are people worried about, you know, Trump being described as Christ. That's ridiculous. And it was no, 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 no. You have something now. I think it's called the Patriots Bible. If I, I could oh, be yeah. wrong on that title. And um, in that there are facsimile documents of God inspired American history documents like the Declaration of Independence and all this. Mm -hmm. And it is signed not only by the author that's put together the new bit, but Trump. Trump is signing Bibles. That's why they think it's getting out of control. And it's actual shock. There was just a poll done in America, Lauren, where people were polled to ask who is the most godly person in the country. And Trump won. No, it's Steven Spielberg because he saved a cinema in Carmarthen with Jurassic Park, and because of that fact, it has never closed down. It's a small independent theatre, and he saved it. They well, wrote to him personally saying, we're at risk of closing. Can we please be the first place in the UK as our final hurrah to show Jurassic Park? He did that, and it saved them. Well, so, I'm going to tell you right now, Lauren. The person is Steven Spielberg. In America, no one named Spielberg is going to be named the most godly. Let's just say that without <laughs> having to explain too much. I'm declaring this. To me, that's declaring this. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, Trump's the most godly person in America, according to new polls. Wow. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I think that's wonderful. As a lifelong liberal. I, like, I love that for you. I love that for you. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm a lifelong liberal. And as a liberal, I was always anti-censorship and pro-learning and knowledge. 
And now the liberals are the ones who want to censor and erase things. And the conservatives want to censor and erase things. There's no room for old liberals anymore. <laughs> you know, welcome to welcome to the cycle of progress and multi-generational change. Isn't it terrible that the ultra right and the ultra left are so close to each other that it's that a, us centrists are screwed? Yeah. Yeah, it's that horseshoe theory or whatever. It's a circle. I, they they join. They they come back around. Yeah, and a um, centrist are screwed. Yeah, but well, I don't understand. It's always been that way. The, the books that they're talking about banning, I don't understand why they're being banned. It doesn't make sense. Because um, people don't like ideas. Yeah. Because they're giving. Because they're giving. Um, it's not that. It's just they're educating people to be good people. No. Like to kill a mockingbird. That has a lovely message. Yes, but it also had the message that you know, racial segregation wasn't bad. You're talking about people who want to censor these things, and are want to ban the books. Are are it's out of hate, hate and fear. It's fear very, would be fear would yeah. be the 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 accurate thing yeah. there. I think because. Because you're gonna find a you're gonna find a laundry list of intentions and reasons and rationale for it. You really will. It is but funny almost that, all of it comes out of the emotion of fear. It is funny that it's backfired on them all, hasn't it? That the Handmaid's Tale was a cautionary tale, not a handbook mm-hmm. as to what to do. Uh, no, understood. But this yeah. is the big wide world with a wide variety of viewpoints and. They're not all ours. <laughs> no, but but the, that it's it's. But what's quite scary for me is that reading The Handmaid's Tale, mm-hmm. it was a really scary book. I was scared by it, and I go, but that could never happen. And then I see it happening, mm-hmm. you know, and and I see it happening to women, and it's like, you know, could that be me one day? You know, could and and that's, no, you're too much of a bully. Well, that would just mean I'd be an, I'd end up as an aunt, wouldn't I? Right. Yeah. The aunt in charge of the handmaidens. That, we got to wrap up very soon, so I want to do one do. more science fiction thing. Yes. One more. And and first of all, I want to know if you'll come back on to do the full Planet of the Apes episode when Hunter's I, available. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm along for that ride. And Lauren, you're going to get to answer this, and then Chris, and then we're going to say goodnight. I already answered my favorite sci-fi franchise of all time is the original Planet of the Apes series. Mm. Lauren, it can be television, movies, books, whatever. What is your favorite science fiction franchise of all time and why? Oh, gosh, that's very difficult. Um, I have many. I think my very, very favorite, it would have to be. Be oh gosh no the other ones are gonna hate me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um oh yeah it's gonna have to be Star Trek yeah. Okay and why? I think um it was the, the it it at the beginning it showed a very idealistic um future but then as it as everything progressed it became that much more complicated and I think it really worked where 
I know when Roddenberry was around, they didn't do very much with religion. But then when Deep Space Nine came along and they started saying, well, no, there would be people that have religious beliefs in this new society. And you just saw how complicated it would be and how the human story or the humanoid story is going to be complicated forever. It just gave you that hope is that, you know, these things are going to keep happening. It's not just um unprecedented times you know you're always going to be dealing with this thing and also for someone that is neurodivergent people like Spock and Data who struggled to fit in but were still these brilliant intelligent vital members of a community was absolutely necessary yeah that's good although apes wins no, I'm just kidding <laughs> I'm just kidding Although there is that tie-in, there's a cart, uh, comic book series where the Planet of the Apes and Star Trek meet, so we could talk about that when we do the full episode. But Lauren, mm-hmm. good answer. Star Trek, very good answer. Chris, onus is on you. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not copying Lauren because that was my answer before her, before she came up with hers. But it is Star Trek. Um, I, I I am all about you know so many other Star science fiction properties. And um, and there's a great many that that are that that make my list of of really, really great stuff. But if I have to go to one favorite, then I go how to what do I think about more than any other or get the most enjoyment out of or replayability out of or whatever. And that would be Star Trek. It's uh, not only is it a huge property in terms of the, all the various series and manifestations of it, but it's always um well, maybe not always, but more often than not, the bulk of the Star Trek canon of, of, of stuff to watch is perfect science fiction. It's science fiction that is using science to demonstrate and talk about current events and issues in a futuristic scientific way that puts people first. It's always about people, not science. And... Um, and so it, so that's something that I've always appreciated about Star Trek and been able to connect with on it on a very personal level, uh, no matter how, you know, or what part of it I'm looking at or whatever. It's only very recent Star Trek that has fallen prey to this entire industry of IPism versus storytelling that we see Star Trek decline in the same way we see Star Wars and pretty much Marvel and any other franchise decline during the same time. Um, that's a victim of a system more so than, you know, uh, the the true destruction of the IP. We just need good storytellers and 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 people who put the the people and the messages first. And that applies to Star Trek as much as it does to any of the other failing franchises right now that need to be picked back up. So that's my that's my answer to it. So it's I two on one. The, the best um, new modern fan, the new modern bit of, of Star, Star Trek is Lower Decks. I mean, anybody that that um, has a storyline where there is a big gold statue to Chief O'Brien as the best person in Starfleet wins. I, <laughs> I absolutely was stunned. I was stunned by how good Picard season three was. That, that to me was a return to the roots. That that was that, that was brilliant storytelling. And the way that they found a way, because I know the whole issue of Brent uh, Spiner not wanting to continue with data was 
because he was saying, I'm going to get older and this person can't get older. It's not going to be realistic. But for them to find a really amazing way to bring such an iconic a character back that in his own right is data, law, a new version of data, but also remembering Lal as well, which was just amazing yeah it 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 really the the guy who wrote and put that show the showrunner for that season three i don't remember his name but this was a man who truly was a star trek fan first and he put the story first and he put the characters first and you felt like you were watching the real version of these people these characters you know in there um you know on their final sort of adventures and it was awesome it was awesome i loved it i absolutely loved it it was a it they was a wonderful outing. And they, oh no, no, not, not the Botany Bay, the Klingon chip that they had. Yes. In the fight, <laughs> yeah. no, not, not the Botany. That was, that was the best. I, I will, I, I will say this about Botany. I'm not surprised that Chris picked Star Trek. I, I know you're a Trek guy. I know you're a Star Wars guy and a Star Trek guy, which is yeah. kind of the yin and the yang of someone's of personality, which is odd, but it's okay. We'll <laughs> let it go. I'm a little surprised Lauren didn't go with Doctor Who. Oh, uh, but see, I was um, I was a Star Trek fan before I was a Doctor. Ah. And I know me too. We are going to get letters from people that say, "What about Dune? What about the you know the Dune books and movies? What about this? What them. about that?" But I want to say what's really cool is that your guys' pick ties back into mine because the greatest Star Trek ever. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, starring the great Ricardo Montalban, who appears in two Planet of the Apes films as Armando. That's right. And helps Caesar survive. Helps so, Caesar survive. That's right. Khan saves the Planet of the Apes, or creates the Planet of the Apes in a sense. <laughs> to be fair, I mean, Khan was angry that um, they taken it, because he was just trying to make a life for him and his friends. And, and um he he was kind of done a dirty by Kirk on that one. Oh, he and if was he wasn't a war criminal directly responsible for the death of billions of people, I might have a little bit more sympathy for the guy. Well, you know, if you go back and watch Space Seed, he was a dick from moment one. That's what he I'm did, talking about. Yeah, yeah he exactly. didn't get he didn't get done a dirty so much in Space Seed. By Wrath of Khan, he had a dirty done to him. That's I what mean, I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Being, yeah, being left on a planet and then the and then the and then the other planet blows up is like Jesus. Nobody noticed. I mean, that was that was kind of you know that was kind of messed up. I just like you know people forget he had Kirk in that vacuum lock chamber trying to kill him slowly to be a dick. It wasn't like I could kill you right now, but I'm not going to. I'm gonna watch you suffer and die. So fuck right. him. But he was great as Armando. Yes, he sacrificed his life for Caesar. So I'm gonna cry. Oh. Also, the planet could be blown up by Charlton Heston. Centuries, yeah, one one bomb can blow up the whole planet. But you know, but you know, hey, Victor Buono was there, so I guess that helps. Not that that makes any sense to anybody in the world, unless they're a Batman fan, I guess, because you know he was King Tut. But oh, why nope. would you bring King Tut up? Why would you do that, Brian? Because Victor Buono was the head of the of the people in Planet of the Apes, and Victor Buono played King Tut. Yeah, but why Batman. would you bring him up? But why would you bring him up? We don't like to speak about him. 
Victor Bono. He was in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, too. I love that movie. I love that movie, too. (laughs) Well, on that note, we're going to get running. Uh, Chris, I am so... Any time to talk to you about anything is fun, and I love talking science films. And I will let you know when we're going to reschedule the full deep dive into the apes, and you're going to come back on. And I'll be there. Bully the shit out of you, because that's what she does. I might not shut up now. Actually, she might not. If we do record, she is having a procedure done next week. So everybody, thoughts go to Lauren. Tell Lauren that she's going to be fine. The procedure's going to suck, but she'll be all good afterwards. It's a lumbar puncture, so um, it's going to hurt. I'm just going to worry that they're going to cripple me, but I'll be okay. Oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. We all love you, Lauren, even though you're a bully. I know. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right, well, thank you. Thank you very much for Brian in Buffalo, Lauren in Swansea, and Chris in Colorado. Good night. (laughs) Good night. One of the one of the nicknames, or one of the false charges that are laid upon the Welsh, they are what is delightfully termed sheep. Shankers. <laughs>